Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Let me ask you a question. As a believer, as a Jesus follower, do you ever feel outnumbered or in the minority as a Jesus follower? Are there ever moments in your life where you feel like there are more people who believe differently than me than there are people in this place that feel the same as I do? I'll never forget when I was a student in school, I felt very outnumbered. I felt very intimidated about allowing anyone to know that I was a Jesus follower. I mean, I took a lot of, it was a, it was a bold step of faith anytime I let my faith shine or be seen uh, when I was on campus as a student because I just felt like I was the only one, which I will take a time out and say this. One of the tricks of the enemy is to make you feel like you're the only one, even when you're not the only one, right? So I will put that caveat in there. But many of you in this room, maybe you work at places today. Maybe you work at, at the, uh, one of our, our local businesses. Maybe you work out on, the, out on the base. Maybe you work in town. Uh, and may, I know in the workplace, many times it's very easy to feel like I am the only one. I am the only person here standing for Jesus. I'm the only person here trying to follow Jesus. Maybe you're even surrounded by people where you're not just the only one following Jesus. Maybe you're surrounded by people who, who are antagonistic, or, or maybe they just don't understand why would anyone stand for Jesus. Maybe you are pressured to make compromising choices in your business that you don't want to make, but others are making, and, and they don't understand why you won't go along with them. Some of you may be the only Jesus follower in your home. And if that is the case, whether you're a student or whether you're a parent, whether you're, you're a Jesus follower, your spouse is not, I would say this to you this morning, I believe Scripture kind of tells us that a home can be sanctified just by the presence of one believer. So never underestimate the power of your faith in Jesus and your home. I say all that to say this. It's very easy to feel outnumbered. This morning I want want to talk to you about what what it means to be outnumbered but unashamed. Outnumbered but not outpowered. Outnumbered, but not disconnected to the person of Jesus. In the minority, but having confidence that you plus God equals a majority. You and I can live outnumbered and yet unashamed. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, the Apostle Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He was severely outnumbered, especially in Rome where he was wanting to go. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Can I tell you, being a Christ follower has not always been the most popular position for people to take. If we're not careful, 
I know that we live in a culture today where it seems like increasingly there is a headwind against Christianity. It seems like our culture is becoming more and more opposed to not just Christian values, but to the, to the idea that Jesus is the one and only way to God for salvation. It's easy to imagine that, that as our culture is becoming more and more post-Christian, it's easy to imagine that, well, this is a new thing. We, this is the first time this ever happened. But can I tell you, just the opposite is true. Almost throughout all of history, Christianity has always been in the minority on planet Earth. But can I also tell you that just because you are outnumbered does not mean that you have to be unashamed or afraid that God will not show up wherever it is your feet take you in this life. I was talking to uh, our motorcycle minister this morning, Brother Howard and Miss Debbie. They told me that this week they're going to be ministering in Sturgis. Is that right? Brother, I got a feeling y'all are going to be outnumbered. Right? But I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're going unashamed. Because he knows that when he gets to Sturgis, he's, it's not just him and other honor-bound ministers. The power of God's going to be there. Amen? The hand of God's going to be there. The, presence, the miracle work and the, the saving power of God will be with you and before you. And friends, can I tell you, that is true in your job. That is true in your school. That is true in your family. Just because you're outnumbered doesn't mean you're outpowered or that you have to be ashamed of the gospel, afraid it may not work in your context. Paul said, despite all the pressure... To go a different route with my life. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. There's always opposition to your faith. Just quickly, we can list a whole, whole gamut of op things that are in opposition to our faith. You could think of, and these are things that Paul faced in Rome. Or as he wrote to them. You could think of intellectual opposition it says that you must be foolish to follow Jesus. There's cultural oppositions that says your biblical convictions are behind or in opposition to the world's values. There's economic opposition. People that would say you're wasting your time and your money serving God or living for Him. But Paul says despite all of those things, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is my power. It is my source. It is my strength. It is the thing that allows me to function and flourish even if I'm alone. Today I want to talk to you about how to live an unashamed life even when you're outnumbered. If you're a college student or a high school student or a junior high student, many of you are getting ready to walk back into the doors of being severely outnumbered, and I understand that. But I want to tell you, you can be outnumbered and yet unashamed. If you're going to the workplace tomorrow... You may be walking into a shop or a building where you are severely outnumbered, but just because you're outnumbered doesn't mean you have to be ashamed. The Apostle Paul, he's going to teach us this morning how to be outnumbered but yet unashamed. Romans chapter 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through Him and for His name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to be called from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also, you also, right? You also 
are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. For I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith has been reported all over the world. I want to stop there. We're going to cover a few more scriptures as we go through the message today. But for Tom's sake, let's pray and get into it. Father, help us today, even when we're outnumbered, to be unashamed. Church, would you just make that your prayer right now? Lord, even when I'm outnumbered, help me be unashamed. If I'm outnumbered at home, let me be unashamed. If I'm outnumbered at school, let me live a life that's unashamed of you and your power. If I'm in the marketplace, the workplace, wherever it is, help us to live a life that even though we're outnumbered, we will be unashamed. Father, I pray this morning you'll help me preach what you want spoken. Help us to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. Help us respond to your word and to your spirit today that so we can be changed to become more and more like you. And we'll give you thanks. Everybody in the room said amen. Paul's writing to the church at Rome, which is a little bit different than most of Paul's writing. Most of Paul's writing, he's writing to people. He's writing to churches he started and people he knew. Romans is different. He's never been there. He knows very few of the people. It's basically, he spends a lot of time. One of the, you know, Romans has been called one of the greatest gospel presentations in the Bible. And one of the reasons is because he is so detailed about the good news of Jesus because he doesn't know these people he's writing to. So he, has, he doesn't assume anything. He kind of lays it all out, which is really beneficial for us as the, as the reader to, to pick up on everything he wants us to hear. But, but Rome... I just want to describe it to you for just a moment. Who is it he's writing to? He's writing to the church at Rome. And Rome is the center of sophistication, information, and progress. Right? And I begin to wonder, is there any place on planet Earth today that people would say it's the center of sophistication, information, and progress? Most would say you and I live in such a place. Right? The place where politics rules. A place where information is king. A place where we assume we, we've learned it all, we know it all. But yet in such an atmosphere, Paul declares, it doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people think they know. It doesn't matter if they feel like they got the, the world all figured out. He said, I, listen, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to preach Jesus because I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. It is the, the power of Jesus is my source. So today I want to ask you, I want to share with you how to live outnumbered yet unashamed. Here's the first key. If you ever feel outnumbered, the first thing to remember is that we must, in order to survive outnumbered moments, we have to go all in with our commitment to Jesus. Romans chapter 1, Paul says it like this. This is the King James Version. It says, Paul, he describes himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And when I say go all in in your commitment, you know, we're just a few weeks, y'all don't shout me down when I say this, but we're just a few weeks from college football starting. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm ready. I love watching college football. It is, it is, it is, it's not good for me because 
I like to watch it in my recliner, food in my lap, preferably ice cream, spoon in my mouth. That's, that's college football. But occasionally I get to go to a college football game, and if you go to the game, how many of you don't just, I don't go to the game like this. If you're going to go to the game, what do you do? You got to get garbed up, right? If you're going to a Razorback game, you go to Walmart and you buy every Walmart Razorback thing you can buy. If you're going to see the Red Wolves, you buy every Red Wolf thing. I actually have, I have a shirt, a jersey I wear to see the, uh, you know, see the Travelers play in Little Rock. I've got another shirt I wear when I go see the Red Wolves play. I got, I got, but, but what I would never do, would it be foreign to you to go to a Razorback game, your favorite team, and you walk in the stadium and you got, you got all the memorabilia of one team on this arm and all the memorabilia on the other team of this arm, and you walk in carrying both and you say, at halftime, I'll decide who I'm going to cheer for. Wouldn't that be sort of, you're just kind of tiptoeing, well, I'll, I'll decide who I'm going to follow depending on how good it seems at the moment. You're not really all in. You're just kind of hanging out. But Paul says part of being unashamed, even when you're outnumbered, is you have to be all in. And Paul uses this word to describe himself. He said, I am a bondservant. We got any bond service in the room? Probably not. That, that, that terminology doesn't really resonate in our culture. We don't really know what that means a lot, but I want to take just a second and tell you about it because depending on whether you're, you're reading the King James Version or the NIV or the NLT, there's three words that gets translated there. One of them is a bond servant, one of them is a slave, and one of them is just a servant. Any of the three are fine, but I think the original, the original word that is used, bond servant, really paints a distinct picture in Paul's day, the idea of someone being a slave was not, was not far-fetched. Slavery, people being in slavery were, was a real thing. And people could wind up in slavery for different reasons. Uh, some people could, could be born free, but they could have financial difficulties and they weren't able to pay their bills. And if you, if you were indebted to someone else, uh, you, you don't file bankruptcy. bankruptcy. You, could be, you could be put into slavery and you would have to work for that person you owed money for, from and you have to work until you paid off your debt. That's just one example of how people found themselves slaves instead of free. But a bond servant was a person, for whatever reason, they found themselves in slavery. And when it came time for them to be released, when their master or their owner or their person they were indentured to, when, when their master set them free, a bond servant would say, listen, thank you for setting me free, but you've treated me so well and life is so good and I love you so much and I'm so attached to you and your family and, and, and the life we live. I'm so attached to that that, that I want to renounce my living. I want to renounce my freedom and for the rest of my life, I will live as your servant. Now, most of us would say that feels kind of far off to us, that someone would renounce their freedom and renounce their individuality and renounce their, 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 their choices to think freely for the rest of their life and do their, to never be able to do their own thing, but to, to say, I'm going to, I'm going to indenture myself to someone else. I'm going to make them my master voluntarily. Well, a person who would do that, they were called a, 
Not a slave or a servant. They were called a bond servant. It was a person who was a servant by choice. And when Paul chooses to describe his relationship with Jesus, he doesn't just use the word servant or slave in this text. He uses the word bond servant. In other words, he said, I am a slave, but I'm not a slave to Christ because someone makes me. I'm a slave to Christ because I want to be. Because he's been so good to me. He's been better to me than I could be to myself. And so I'm going to live the rest of my life serving him. It's not about my way anymore. It's about God's way. See, that, that's what I mean when I say he was all in. And Paul went all in because he understood that Jesus went all in for him first. How many understand that Jesus went all in for you? Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you've received from God? Listen to this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul realized, hey, Jesus gave his life for me. He went all in for me. And so who am I to just partially commit or halfway commit or just kind of put one foot in the water and one foot out of the water? Who am I just to tiptoe around the things of God? See, Paul knew that the confidence of standing for God was not about who he was in himself, but who he was in Christ. For our shame, our ability to stand unashamed does not come from our confidence in ourselves, but it comes from our confidence in who he is and that we're set free and we're followers of Jesus. I like what Mark Batterson said in his book. He wrote a book several years called All In. And he said, going all in and all out for the all in all is both a death sentence and a life sentence. Your sin nature, along with its selfish desires, is nailed to the cross. Then and only then does your true personality, your true potential, and your true purpose come alive. After all, God cannot resurrect what is not dead. Or what has not died. And that's why so many people are only half alive. They haven't died to self yet. But Jesus gave his life for us so that we could die to sin and live for him. Amen? Amen. Number two, if you're going to live outnumbered, which, by the way, we're all going to live the rest of our life. I'm not trying to be a naysayer. But Scripture points that we're going to live our life outnumbered. But the way we live outnumbered and unashamed is we have to never let what is happening outside of the body of Christ convince us to walk away or doubt the validity of the gospel. Paul said this about Jesus. He was proven to be the Son of God by His resurrection of the dead. Paul says this is not a borrowed faith he has. This is a personal faith. Paul is personally convinced that Jesus is alive. He's talked to people who saw the crucifixion and witnessed Jesus after the resurrection. He himself has had a his own personal encounter at the moment of his conversion. And friends, the way we can live outnumbered but yet unashamed is we have to each have our own personal encounter with Jesus. Have you ever had or worn clothes that were called hand-me-downs? 
right? Any proud hand-me-down wearers in the room today? I'm actually wearing a hand-me-down shirt right now. No shame in my game, all right? But, but here's the deal. Faith can be handed down. Paul told Timothy, your faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, now lives in you. It can be handed down, but somewhere, in order for us to, to, for it to become ours, it's not like an heirloom that you put in your drawer at home. You have to own it as yours. You have to have a personal, that faith handed down has to be personalized where you personally become a follower of Jesus. See, confidence in our lives does not derive from believing we are something more than we are. Confidence derives knowing that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. And we live in a world that tries to present facts as theories and theories as facts, but yet they deny the one undeniable fact, and that is that Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial day. On the third day, he rose again, was seen by more than 500 people over, over weeks and he's still alive today. The event that split time for all of humanity is seen by many to be fiction instead of fact. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is my strength. It is my hope. It is my power. Here's the third thing this morning. For to live outnumbered but yet unashamed. We must never lose the honor of our personal calling. I want to just take a moment. Paul identifies himself as, as a called apostle by God. But then he turns around and he says those same words that I shared with you a few minutes ago. That you are all called. He says, all, all of you, you're called by God. The great commission given by Jesus takes the responsibility of, of living a life and sharing the gospel from a few people to all people. Everyone who's caused who calls Jesus Lord, who says Jesus is my Savior, we have all been, we've all been, been uh, inaugurated, we've all been commissioned to be witnesses of the Lord. And Paul says these words about being a witness, about the call of God on each of our lives. He says these two words, and these two words captured my attention a few weeks ago. It's really what led me to preach this message this morning. Paul says, we, ha- we believe in Him, and He has given us, listen to this, the privilege... And authority. When was the last time you, you really thought and thanked God for the privilege of following Him? Paul reminds us that we've been given a privilege and an authority. You know, a privilege and authority versus entitlement and victim mentality. Privilege. I think, it, I think it's a great imperative. I think one of the most important things about Paul's ministry is to realize that he considers it a privilege to follow Jesus. Well, Craig, why are you so convinced that, that we need to realize that it's a privilege to follow Jesus? Because I want to I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses to you. Just hang on with me. This is the same guy. This is Paul talking. Here's what he says. I've worked much harder. I've been jailed more often, beat up more times than I can count, at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times 
with the Jews 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the open sea for night and day, in hard traveling year in and year out. I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, risk in the country, endangered in the desert sun and the sea storms. I've been betrayed by those who I thought were my brother. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the rope's end, I feel, here's a pastor's heart coming through Paul. He says, when someone gets to their rope's end, he says, I feel the desperation of my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my guts. If I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus, the eternal and blessed God of our Father and Savior. He knows I'm not lying. Remember the time I was in Damascus and the governor posted guards at the city gates to arrest me. I crawled through a window and I was let down in a basket so I could run for my life. Paul has been through hell and back, but he says when it comes to following Jesus, it's a privilege of my life no matter what it costs me. At some point, the American church has to get over our song that says gloom, despair, agony on me because I'm outnumbered. No one likes me. Jesus said they didn't like him either. Matter of fact, the, one of the greatest compliments you could ever get in your life is for someone to dislike you or persecute you or injure you or say negative things about you, not because you did something wrong, but because you stood for Jesus. And Paul says, despite all this that's happened to me, not because he made some bad choices, but because he served Jesus, he said, it's a privilege. We cannot pray. How many times have we sung the song? How many times have we lifted our hands up and we prayed, oh God, just use me. Use me however you want to. Use me at home, use me overseas, use me in the church, use me in my family, use me in the school. Use me. And then the next prayer is this, oh God, I just, I feel so used. I heard one person say that most Christians don't lie to God, we, we sing our lies to God. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Don't, don't ask God to use you. If you're going to begrudge the sense of being used. Well, pastor, people should appreciate what I do for them. No, you don't do what you do for God. So that people appreciate you. You do what you do for God because he's the one you're following. How can, how can Paul go through all this stuff and say, after all that, it's a privilege for me to serve Jesus? 
because he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus was the author and the finisher of his faith. Jesus was the one he was trying to please. And it doesn't matter if he was in the ship that was sinking or in the desert by himself or if he was running for his life and all those things, he knew this, I am making Jesus pleased by my faithfulness to him. The second thing Paul said, he said, we don't just have privilege to serve him, we have authority to serve him. And most of us, when we think of the word authority, we think authority means I get to tell someone to jump and they have to ask how high. That's what authority is. But, but I want to I challenge you for a minute to not think of authority in that manner, but think of like, like Home Depot is an authorized dealer of what? John Deere, maybe? I don't know. You can get things through them because they're an authorized agent of someone else. Paul said, we are Christ ambassadors. We are Christ authorized dealers, if you will. We are Christ authorized teller. We have the privilege, but we have also been authorized. Listen, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we have this imposture syndrome that I'm just doing what I'm doing, hoping that no one finds out who I am. But Paul says, no, 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 I'm not an imposter. I'm not actually, I'm not trying to be something I'm not. I'm being who God's called me to be. He has made me his authorized agent to tell people about Jesus. That's who we are today. Number four, have you got A, B, and C in your notes? Am I, am I skipping some stuff? If I am, you're supposed to believe, obey, and bring glory to God, but I'll hit that later because I want to get you out of here before the water park starts tonight. But here's number four. Here's the next way you, when you're outnumbered, you can live unashamed, is you continue to be faithful through hard times. Man, verse number eight is so challenging to me. I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is reported all over the world. I've been asking the Lord, Lord, what would it take for our faith to be reported all over the world? Sometimes we believe that hardships are limiting the message of Jesus through our life. But the church at Rome they are perhaps one of the most distressed bodies in existence at this time. The Christians at Rome were unpopular. They were, they were told to be um, enemies of humanity. They were credited with all different kind of false accusations about them. They were persecuted. But yet, despite the persecution, their faith was being taught it all over the world. Can I tell you, hard times in your life does not silence your faith. Your hard times, when you stay faithful through hard times, that magnifies your faith. Struggling time was attention-grabbing time for the early church. In our weakness, he's made strong. Number five, how do I... Stand unashamed even when I'm outnumbered. Number five, remember you bring something to the table. Romans 11, 1, 11 says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some... Would you, would you look at these few words? 
some spiritual gift. And I long to come to you so that you may impart some spiritual gift to me. Paul doesn't really know what he needs from them, but he knows he needs something from them. Paul doesn't really know what the church has need from him, but he knows they need something from him. Can I tell you that you have a gift from God that is valuable to the local church? I didn't say you are a gift of God. Some of you have been saying that to yourself. No, no. You have a gift from God for a local church. And the local church has a gift of God from you. I get really, I get really leery when I hear someone say something like, you know, I've got a lot to offer this church. They're true. Every person does have a lot to offer the church. I also get really leery when I hear someone say, I'm just here to get what I can. See, both of those are error. If you think I just got something to give, or you think I'm just here to get what I can. Paul says, I'm here to give you something, and I'm here to receive something. And I don't even know what that is. So if you, if you ever feel like, well, pastor, I'm not sure exactly how God has gifted me or how, do you, how are you going to use me? Paul was gifted and used in many different ways. He said, I don't know, but I know this. If God's planted me here, there's something in me that he wants to impart to others, and there's something to others that he needs to impart into me. Number six, Megan, if you want to come. How do I stand unashamed even when I'm outnumbered? You have to believe Maybe a better word is this. You have to know that the gospel works, period. He said, I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of, what's that next word? It's so huge. Everyone who believes. Paul says, the gospel is the power I need. I can have confidence and live unashamed because the gospel is my source. It's not myself. It's all of him. And it doesn't just work at one place at one time. It works anywhere you go. One of, the, one of my favorite things about going on missions trips is I can find myself in a foreign country among people I do not understand. They can be singing a song. I don't know the words. Maybe I know the tunes. Maybe I don't. But, but here's what I know. When, when I close my eyes and lift my hand, the same presence of God that fills this place here fills the place there. Why? Because the gospel works anywhere. Anywhere. And it's not just the presence of God that flows anywhere. It's the power of God that functions anywhere. That's why there's people who are saved, delivered, healed, set apart all around the world. There's no part that God, there's no place God will take us that the power of God won't work through us. Paul says it works. I'm ready to preach it at Rome too. As sophisticated and entitled and as information dominant as that place seems to be, he knows the gospel will work there too. But he also says, and the gospel will work for anyone. And the gospel will work through anyone. I want to ask you about your heads this morning. I get ready to 
close. The gospel will work anywhere. It'll work for anyone. And it will work through anyone who will choose to stand for Jesus unashamed even though they're outnumbered. There's a an account in Luke chapter 10 Jesus sends 72 followers out in groups of two to preach, to pray for people. Jesus doesn't go with them, he just sends them out. And he came those 72 came back to him amazed. They said, "Lord, demons even submit to us in your name. And Jesus said this statement to them. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The disciples said, Lord, we spoke your name. We stood, we were, we were outnumbered, but we were unashamed. We just shared the good news. And Jesus said those words, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Every time I read that verse, I've always thought of in the context of Jesus is, he's like proven that he's God, right? He's like proven, hey, I remember way back when, when the enemy was kicked out of, out of heaven. I remember when he was, he and his angels were kicked out. I saw him fall like lightning. But I was, Preparing for this, you have to ask yourself, well, why is that statement put right there? Because then he goes right back into 19 and says, Now I've given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. What if, what if Jesus wasn't just referring to he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven? some far time ago in the past. But what if Jesus was referring to that as the disciples went out and boldly proclaimed the gospel, that wherever the disciples proclaimed the gospel, that the enemy and his imps and his demons that were in authority of that place before they got there, as the gospel went forward, the enemy was dethroned and dismantled. He said, Jesus was saying, I saw them fall like lightning as you begin to open your mouth and share the gospel. As you went to pray for others, minister to others, in that moment in the spirit world, something changed because you were obedient to me. I'm just here to tell you this morning, you can live unashamed even in a world that says you're outnumbered. If you'll decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all in. I'm not going to straddle the fence. I'm all in. I'm convinced of who Jesus is. I, I, I admit I'm a called person, so I'm not here out of, out of just biding my time. I'm here because God's called me to be here. If he's called me here, he's got work for me here. And I'm going to stand for him if it's easy or hard because there's something he can do in my life here because I know the gospel will work here in me and through me if I let it. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I just want to pray. I don't know if this is one person or a hundred people this morning. We say, Pastor, I have seemed severely out, I have felt severely outnumbered 
Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's on the job. Maybe it's in your school. And today, I just, I just wanted to include you in a prayer this morning that even though you may walk into a scenario where you're still outnumbered, you will have the power of Jesus to stand unashamed. If I can include you in that prayer today, would you just wave at me real quick? That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. That even though I'm outnumbered, I will not be ashamed. Amen. 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 There's young people, students. There's all different ages today. I want to include you in that prayer today. Father, I pray... I praise you for your word. I'm thankful that even when we're outnumbered, doesn't mean we're outpowered, doesn't mean we're outmatched, doesn't mean we're overwhelmed. But God, we can stand unashamed because our power is not our own, it's yours. So I pray for everyone. Who lifted a hand. Lord, I pray for these students. I pray for adults who are working in places. I pray for the person who may be the only believer in their household today. God, I pray that even though they're outnumbered, they will be unashamed. And as they stand for you, the power of God would fill them, flood them, renew them, strengthen them. I pray the power of God will go with them. I pray when they stand for you, that they realize they never stand alone because you're with them. And I pray an overshadowing of your care be upon their life, an overwhelming anointing of your spirit be with them and flow through them every moment of their life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.